0: From VQR and the Center for Media and Citizenship, this is episode 11 of Circle of Willis, where I chat with psychophysiologist and neuroscientist Nicole Prousey about the rewards and challenges of using science to study sex. Hey everyone, it's Jim Cohn, and this is my podcast, Circle of Willis. Or at least it was my podcast. We'll see how long it lasts after this episode is released into the wild. This might be it, folks. I might be crossing crossing some kind of line here. I don't know, probably not. But the thing is, in this episode I'm talking with Nicole Prousey, whose friends call her Nikki, about the science of sex. And you know what? Sex comes up a lot. Nikki Prowsey is an expert psychophysiologist and neuroscientist. She trained, among other places, at the, uh, the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Gender, and Reproduction at Indiana University. She's, uh, she's an associate research scientist at UCLA and, and a licensed clinical psychologist. And recently, she founded Liberos LLC, which is her very own private research institute and biotech company. There's a lot of complex reasons for that we're going to talk about, but anyway... We're all mature adults, right? We've all had sex ed. Well, many of us have. But the thing is, we still have a pretty hard time talking about sex, you know, as a community, as a culture, as a society. And you might think that scientists, you know, who uh, at the very least can make the topic kind of clinical and sterile with all their jargon, would be especially above it all that there, there wouldn't be anything particularly controversial about applying the scientific method to what is, after all, a huge aspect of human behavior and physiology, our sexual responses. And, well, if you thought that, you'd be kind of wrong. Sex just makes people feel uncomfortable. Seems like whenever it comes up, there's always some kind of unspoken or compulsory acknowledgement that all involved in the conversation may have, at times, actually done it. Sex, I mean. They may have engaged in sex, and that's that's pretty private stuff. I don't, like to, I don't like to talk about that if I don't have to. And so we avoid it, or at the extreme, we, we sort of silence it, not only avoiding it ourselves, but also demanding that others avoid it too. Weird thing is, I kind of understand that. So, for example, in, you know, in the family I grew up in, there were certain words that one simply did not say. And I'm not talking about the f-bomb here. I'm talking about I'm talking about the words penis and vagina. Those were words, you know. But anyway, look, I've come a long way. I'm pretty confident, for example, that my daughters don't regard those words, penis and vagina, as either mysterious or controversial. It's taken some effort, I won't lie, but I have committed to helping them grow up in a world where simply speaking the words penis and vagina. Is no cause for alarm, and uh, and it's been a challenge at times. It's been a, it's been like I said it's been effort. It's taken effort. Like when my daughter Lulu decided to educate everyone in the grocery checkout line about the fact that her daddy had a penis, that was hard for me. I mean, in the abstract, it's not really a problem, right? It's not controversial. Most of the people in that line, I would I would say the overwhelming majority, even would probably have correctly guessed that I have a penis. But at the same time, it's my preference to refrain from reminding people of that fact, at least while waiting in line to purchase my milk and eggs and Brussels sprouts or whatever. It's just it isn't isn't apropos the situation. Point is, people, it isn't easy for me to talk about genitals, really under any circumstances. That's really what I wanted to say. I'm not proud of that or, or even happy about it, but it is as they say what it is. In all seriousness, folks, the sex researchers face a lot of challenges. And in in Nikki's case, those challenges have even left her fearing for her personal safety. She's been harassed for years by various individuals and groups with anti-sex axes to grind. And she's kept at it anyway because of a genuine passion for the work and a conviction that real scientific knowledge about sex and sexuality is good for everyone. So, take a little time to get to know her here by listening to our conversation, which starts right now. <laughs> I'm
1: getting so much <laughs> This is going to be tough.
0: This is going to be tough because I'm I, I'm going to... Will it offend you if I giggle constantly? I will be I giggling might. constantly. It, it, so, I mean, you help. know, one of the things when i you know i teach abnormal psychology mm. and i have to talk at some point listen to it, even the way i say it i have to talk about sexual dysfunction and it freaks me out because it freaks them out right and i and i'm sort of i'm sort of empathic to a fault sometimes so i'm looking at on these poor nervous undergraduates that are just like nah. and freakiness. i know it, but but i've i've sort of found that the way to deal with it is to go just all in mm-hmm. so so I open up with a slide from this old radio show called Love Lines. Do you know about Love Lines with Drew? Yeah,
1: he's still on. I got asked to be on a show on? with him two days really? ago, possibly. Well, yeah, so
0: so bizarre. somebody compiled a bunch of questions that were asked that were sent in, and there and some uh-huh. of them are pretty, you know, like, you know, they're 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 pretty risque, and so they giggle for five minutes or something, and then they get over it. Um. So. So yeah, that's that's sort of what we're in for talking with Nikki Prousey. When, when did we first meet? Did we first meet at SPR? I was trying to remember that when I, I was flying so. out here. I think so. It was like a panel. I was on a panel. I remember you raised your hand.
1: Yeah, I'm the annoying person who every time you are on a reward panel is like, "What about sex? What about sex?" <laughs> and you're like, "Shut up, back there."
0: I remember that because because I, I was I was sitting next to Eddie Harmon Jones, mm-hmm. who's a, a character. Indeed. <laughs> and. uh yeah, I, I remember deferring to him when you Sneaky. raised it. Have you l- thought about this approach? I think it was because we were talking about approach and withdraw, and we were talking about the approach motivation stuff. Yeah, they're having the some symmetry. trouble
1: using dessert stimuli with uh, right. kind of preferences. So and why said, not well, orgasm? Yeah, that, that has pretty universal positive regard.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it's true. And, you know, it must irritate you. I know it irritates you that it's not used more commonly it irritates me. I did one of these interviews with David Barlow, mm-hmm. and we were talking about the Barlow strain gauge, which people may or may not know is a, what is it exactly?
1: It's a mechanical strain gauge that fits around the mid-shaft of the penis. It's an open uh, C kind of, so it's metal, but it expands easily because it's uh, not fully enclosed. Right. And just has a simple, basic strain gauge on one side of it. We have built them and used them in my research, but they're not very common these days.
0: So, you know, if we were using sort of sexual response to look at approach motivation, to look at positive reward responding and stuff like that, not only do we have a nice concrete measure of response to potential rewards, but we know what it means. We have high specificity. High specificity.
1: Yes. There are lots of great things, I think, about sex models that, uh, you know, it's not the answer for everything, obviously, but if you're studying primary rewards, what the hell are you doing with desserts? Get rid of the brownies, strap a vibrator on them, and let's talk about <laughs> primary rewards. Seriously.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I, you know what? I'm going to just write that to my IRB. <laughs> I was going to say, we're getting rid of the brownies and we're strapping a vibrator on them. Mm-hmm. But you can't really do that, right? You can't really just do that. We did it. How? I mean, you, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, uh, le- le- hold, let's, let's get, there. let's, let's back, back up a little bit. Cause I need some, I need more context. Yes. So what, when, when was that? When f- we first met at SPR, it was like 2002 or 2003 Fish? or something, yeah, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Where were you at that time? What were you doing?
1: I think I was late stage graduate school, maybe, or early faculty, so...
0: Where did where, you go to grad school? I
1: was Indiana University, so I was studying there with the Kinsey Institute. Oh, right, yeah. And, yeah, hiding out there in Indiana.
0: And did you do you work in the Kinsey Institute right away?
1: Pretty soon after I got there, I was an undergraduate and I was their lab coordinator for years and then transitioned to graduate students, so I was in the lab, their psychophys lab, like seven or eight years.
0: As an undergraduate? Uh, Are yeah, from, straight through grad school. You, you, you from Indiana?
1: No, hell no. I followed a boy up there. You
0: followed a boy, yeah. dumbass.
1: Yep, yep. But look what I got.
0: Look what you got. You got a whole career. Lost the boy, so got you, a career. You, yeah, it was a fair trade. I think Where'd so. Where'd you come from?
1: Texas. Oh, that's right. I did yeah. know that. Yeah, Where in Texas? <laughs> Southeast, a uh, little town called Beaumont. Beaumont, Texas. Mm-hmm.
0: Noted for its its openness about sexuality and
1: <laughs> sexual <laughs> difficulty uh, purchasing condoms and hearing what sex is. Uh, that also, yes.
0: Yeah. What was it? Yeah. What was it like going up there? What, was you, what were your parents doing? What did they do?
1: Uh, Dad was a pediatrician, which was a good thing because there were uh-huh. six kids in the family. Holy shit! And indeed, five girls all causing trouble so uh what, where
0: were you were you like the n- the number one or the alpha number? you're the alpha, alpha female you're the oldest
1: oldest absolutely oh
0: sorry yeah I'm one well of those too. my bossing I failed understand. miserably yeah it always always
1: <laughs> why don't they just listen to but us they
0: don't because they're little assholes that's in, why
1: <laughs> i didn't say it just for the record that was <laughs> <laughs> dr cohen <laughs> so yeah. you're in
0: beaumont your dad's a pediatrician what's your mom doing
1: uh, she's hanging out at home doing the child raising doing the child thing. Care yeah, thing. trying to keep me from talking to him too much about this stuff. So,
0: were you weird early on? Yes. Yeah. How were yeah. you weird?
1: I think it was. You know, most kids worry a lot about fitting in and being normal and not standing out, and I abhorred that. I hated the idea that I would be like anybody else, um, and was happy to. Uh, you know, I used to wear neckties to school. I have no neckties? idea where that came from. You're doing from. Like, a, like an Annie I, <laughs>
0: Hall kind of thing.
1: Dying my hair purple. And, uh, you know, generally, I mean, I was a good student. It wasn't yeah. rebelled, rebelled in that way. But I uh, just did not want to be normal. I had no interest in it. Is it. My
0: experience, teachers love that. Teachers love the kid <laughs> who does well in school, but is also, you know, sort of Bucks Convention.
1: But not too much.
0: Not too much, maybe. Yeah, uh, This is Beaumont.
1: Within, within range. Did you
0: get along with your teachers okay?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, we. Yeah. Uh, it was a school that was um, very low socioeconomic. We have a lot of uh, oil refineries in town, so people are working factory-type jobs. Wow. Um, I was actually the ethnic minority in town, uh, so it was kind of an unusual place to grow up. It was one of, I've heard, the last city to integrate the wow. schools. So just a uh, very checkered past. <laughs> Not, Is it
0: close to the coast? It must be.
1: Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Close to Galveston and, uh-huh. uh, and um, Louisiana. So that whole area.
0: Yeah. And how, and so, and so you met a boy
1: <laughs> in college. In college. So He's, did you go,
0: did you go to Indiana right away?
1: No. So I started out at a little school in San Antonio where I met him. Uh, he was older. So oh. he went for graduate well. school before I did. Uh, for music up in Indiana, where music is quite good. It is? uh, It's excellent. The department. Often ranked only behind Juilliard. You're kidding. Very good. I don't know anything. I write. I would not have guessed Indiana, and yet they have amazing opera, amazing chamber music, uh, just things you would never have imagined in the middle of the Midwest. And the
0: Kinsey Institute.
1: And the Kinsey Institute. We're a bunch of weirdos up there.
0: So you, you liked Indiana?
1: I loved it. if it had been warmer, yeah. <laughs> I would have stayed. Well,
0: that's the thing. I don't really, I mean, I, it makes sense to me now that you're in Los Angeles studying sex because, why? Because, well, because, because people have sex in Los Angeles. <laughs> they don't have sex. You know, the, 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 the further east you go, and especially northeast, people don't have sex. They, they sort of huddle together grimly in corners and sip cold coffee.
1: That is not true. It is true. That is not true.
0: They, wow.
1: (laughs) It's a larger population here. So whatever you're interested in studying, you can find it. If you want to study men who have sex with men, it's hard to do in Bloomington. Of course, they're there. They're there. But it's a very small group, uh, less visible, harder to recruit, Uh, similar kinds of things for sexual risk behavior. Of course, there are people in Bloomington, Indiana getting in all kinds of trouble, but uh, there are... Such a large group of them in large cities, including Los Angeles. This is the place to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Access. Totally. So, why is Kinsey in Indiana? Is that just where he was from, or what?
1: Yeah, Alfred Kinsey was a zoologist at Indiana University for many years before he started studying sexual behaviors. Uh huh. So his institute kind of grew like out of transformed that indeed, and ended up with a lot of sociologists in it, and. Uh, now has gotten very, very tiny. Uh, and there's some for question about... Lack of about, funding? Uh, lack of funding and lots of political attacks uh, that are pretty direct on their existence. So and this
0: becomes a theme for you for your whole career. Yep. Okay. Well, I want to get there. (laughs) But so you start working at Kinsey as an undergraduate.
1: Yeah. I think I did a semester as a research assistant and then just loved it. Was there hanging out for fun, reading articles for no reason, just nerding out on sex. Learning,
0: nerding out on sex. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, That's interesting because what kind of research were you uh, working on uh, at that time?
1: The very first trial I was involved with was measuring vaginal responses in postmenopausal women. They were taking a drug that they thought might have negative sexual effects Uh or positive sexual effects and just wanted to understand more about that.
0: It's super important.
1: It was right. First thing in the door. I mean, this is sexual effects are still the number one reason people discontinue antidepressant medications. Uh, Yeah. And yet we know Jack about how to address those problems. So we just take them off the pill and keep swapping them on other pills. Well, it's just kind of a similar thing.
0: Yeah. Yet that's what comes up in the abnormal class that I teach in undergraduates is that sexual issues, whether it's sort of understanding normal sex and how people enjoy it or sexual dysfunctions, it's in surprising ways goes to the core of who we are. You know, our identity, our sort of reason for getting up in the morning, uh, you know, there's, there, it's involved in so much of this stuff. It's amazing to me in some ways that it, we don't pay more attention to it.
1: Well, and yet if you ask those abnormal psych students i think you know many of them say well it's a nice to have they don't see right. it as central well that's right yeah so yeah they're wrong <laughs> well and so <laughs> They'll learn that more in fairness i mean so you know i've come to think in some ways they're right so one really? of the one of the errors and argument i think we've been making as a field is trying to say gosh darn it women deserve pleasure and we should have orgasms and all that stuff yeah 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 like that's nice but if you can't feed your family doesn't anybody care oh, about well, how sure. often you're having orgasms that's right that's so, right so If you want to argue for uh, why do we need to know about this stuff, I think there are uh, many other things that happen when your genitals are stimulated, when you're sexually aroused, whether it's the cognitive state or the biology of what's happening, that we can use in addressing general health issues. And I think we've been dumb as a field and trying to continue to beat our head against a brick wall, say orgasms are important. Some people are never going to care, and you're not going to convince them. But if I tell you, Orgasms do something similar to what an antidepressant medication does, and I can get you off your antidepressants.
0: Then now I've got your ear. Come, yeah, well that's good and that's important. And it's not—it's not just that. Doesn't sound to me like it's just PR. It's not. It, that's this that is sounds real. True. Yeah, we real.
1: we can look at overlaps uh, in you know the other example in this domain is many people masturbate to help themselves fall asleep at night Uh and yet masturbation doesn't appear in any of the sleep assessments or the treatment manuals so why don't we know anything about like how should you if you're going to try and do this should you do it when you're lying in bed should you do it an hour before you're gonna go to bed like what is it about that that seems to be facilitating sleep
0: so it's not the fact it's not only the fact that masturbating before sleep can help you sleep that's a finding.
1: No, this is the other thing. It's not a finding. No it's one's just. That, <laughs> uh, I see.
0: I see. So just so, people report that. Yeah. People report that they do that. Yeah,
1: and so we we all as human beings think we know this to be the case. I see. I'm guilty of having told magazines like, "Oh yes, you can facilitate sleep," and then I went and actually looked for the science, and, and I was there's like, "Oh no data." Shit. <laughs> Dumbass. Know? Yeah, I was. I was talking out of my ass on accident, oh my and God. so now I try and correct myself, but you know, it's.
0: But maybe it does.
1: Oh, uh, presumably it does. You inject, you know, rodents with, with a bunch of vasopressin that we know escalates when you have an orgasm, they start yawning like crazy and conk out.
0: Is that really true? Uh, they're
1: okay. adorable when they're yawning like that. Yeah. I bet they are. <laughs> yeah.
0: Little, little Disney cartoons. They are. Yeah. They really are. Okay. So, so you're, you're at Kinsey as an undergraduate, you're doing, you're looking at vaginal response in post-menopausal women.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you feel hooked to this, these kinds of questions right immediately. away. immediately, yeah. yeah.
1: And it did, honestly, early on, it was partly prurient interest. I mean, this is like, oh my God. It's stimulating I'm, just to I'm think about it. I'm looking at the vagina and I'm screening porn for my studies. <laughs> you screening porn. My, yeah, my advisor and I have to talk about whether or not to include anal and, you know. The, In the porn? Uh, yeah, yeah. And kind of like, why do we screen this kind of content out? And what do we think about letting people select for BDSM content? Or like those things when you're young, are fascinating oh my god well you know it
0: really is like the nuclear power of, <laughs> of psychological responding and affective responding isn't it
1: high positive affect. high positive high, <laughs> high
0: arousal mm-hmm. right that's that you know if you look at the, the IAP slides uh, you know the, the international affective picture system the only thing that they can find that gives both high positive affect and high arousal mm-hmm. are, are sexually explicit images
1: and that's what they're bad porn I got better stuff <laughs>
0: Just in case, you not won't. to brag,
1: <laughs> but to brag.
0: So, so, <laughs> oh, so, you so you went to graduate school also in Indiana. Stayed there. You stayed there. Yep. And, and who did stayed, you work I with?
1: Uh, I had a funny dual uh, advisorship. So be, uh-huh. I was actually in the clinical science program. So I so was. You have working, a clinical degree. Yep, yeah, clinical nice. science, Me and uh, so Peter Finn, uh, uh-huh. who does alcoholism research, was uh-huh. my first collaborator. Does a lot of ERP work. Uh, simultaneously with Eric Janssen, who was a scientist at the Kinsey Institute, and then ended up mainly actually working in a schizophrenia lab with Bill Hetrick. Interesting. So uh, lots of
0: opportunity to learn different kinds of things.
1: Yeah, and his lab was doing really advanced processing for the time of like components analysis stuff that was novel for, uh, for electroencephalography at the time. So I was doing a lot of methods learning in his laboratory, but then also picked up a bunch of attentional tasks and things mm-hmm. that today are coming back around. I was like, oh Isn't yeah. Isn't that funny yep, how that happens? It does. It becomes part of Pay your toolbox. Pay attention in Pay class, Pay attention, kids. right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> learn stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but you're, so you're learning all of these techniques, and do you do you continue studying sexual responses and sexual responding in grad
1: school? I did the whole time and I think in hindsight that was a mistake and I usually tell grad students huh. this as well. I said, you know, if you're going to study this stuff, go for it, but do it in the context of something else. It is a very risky career move in the US to be a sex researcher and to have that identity. So you will have a much easier time as a candidate and for moving forward in your career if you specialize in a different area and just add sex on as like an additional specialty.
0: It's so depressing to me somehow. (laughs) I mean, you know, I've been one way or another studying relationships since
1: 1991. Mm -hmm. I'm about to bully you. Go ahead. Well, I mean, sex
0: is one of the core elements. It's one one of the absolutely core elements. And, And to this day, I still don't know much about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know much about it from a
1: <laughs> se- <laughs> your poor wife.
0: <laughs> I don't know much about it from 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 the person. I mean, no, but no, I don't know much about the literature, the scientific literature mm-hmm. on it.
1: Yeah, you and I don't speak. This I know. is it's, a it's larger absurd. field problem. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I also was a marital therapist and I taught couples therapy and yeah. did all that good stuff. And we have both had coding uh, training yes. for you, much more in depth than I have about how to look at couples' disagreements, uh-huh. but that's about where it stops right. and vice versa. That is the marital people, the couples' people, and the sex people often aren't talking.
0: Yeah. It's a real problem. It's a real problem. And I've done marital therapy too. And I've worked with couples who are suffering from sexual dysfunctions of various kinds. And I sort of dig into some of the literature on that mm-hmm. a little bit. But a lot of that, frankly, is Masters and Johnson, It still goes back for a long time. Well, so
1: this, I have a bone to pick with your old advisor. So like uh, we just had a big marital researcher, uh, Gottman, who said, you know, well, sex therapy doesn't work. We've always known it doesn't work.
0: Oh, I didn't know he said that. Yeah, this
1: just came out like a few days ago. And uh, there's still kind of this broad idea that, right, we don't know what we're doing. And there are some aspects of sex and sexual dysfunction where that's still the case. Uh, Sexual desire has been really difficult to get a handle on, to make progress with. Um, But there are also some domains, we kill it, you know. So if you're Mm -hmm. treating someone who has pain disorder, you better know that literature. Like vaginismus or something like that? Uh, Yeah, dysprenia broadly, so more commonly, like uh, vulvar vestibulitis is more common. Uh Uh, But we have excellent treatments for sexual pain. Yeah,
0: no, that's the way I always understood it. The treatment for a lot of different kinds of sexual dysfunctions, I mean, it may be like second only to like primary anxiety problems in terms mm-hmm. of uh, treatment efficacy. Yeah.
1: Some of the data are quite good.
0: Yeah. And they've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And people don't access them. Well, it's are Because they're, they're ashamed.
1: <laughs> that could be that. Or like you mentioned, the Masters and Johnson, it's still, you know, like the most common sexual problem. Women report is still uh, low desire problems. Uh, now culturally that shifted to where the women turn around and point the finger at the guys and say no your drive is too high you're a sex addict but that's a whole other issue oh i was so gonna i thought you were
0: gonna say you guys don't know how to make us interested
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> it's a little that's, bit of a different yeah that's the bob problem that's a different <laughs> diagnosis um <laughs> so but like that is where a lot of people are still using sensate focus at old masters and johnson yeah. stuff and there is some data to support it but not strong stuff so that's one area we still have a lot of people expressing problems and not a lot to offer them to to be fair
0: so so people expressing problems in terms of like performance anxiety or something because that's what i think of when i think of the the sensate focus Uh, recommendation
1: no so honestly like we've given up a lot of the erectile dysfunction to viagra because it There are data suggesting that Viagra has largely a psychologic mechanism, which is fascinating. Viagra? Yeah. (laughs) In the sense that depending what studies you read, you know, somewhere in the order of 40 to 70% of Viagra prescriptions are never refilled. They're picked up once. That's interesting. So, right, it could be these are just partiers. So they're picking them up for sex to see to take with ecstasy for a party or something. That's possible. Uh, But that can't be that many of the prescriptions could it so the other kind of a big idea is that people get this viagra or whatever Cialis you know they're using they have a, a some really positive sexual experiences and get their confidence back and, and then, then they, they drop the pills Yep. so it was a psychologic mechanism but using a biologic intervention
0: is that why like 20 or 30 percent of people who take viagra t- t- they don't find it effective I heard that statistic somewhere along the line.
1: That I don't know is the bottom line. (laughs) uh, There are lots of things that That could be wrong, by the way. Yeah, that, that could disrupt that cascade. So, you know, I always say Viagra won't make her pretty. So if you don't have central activation, that is, if you don't see a competent sexual stimulus in front of you, Viagra will do nothing. You can take it and you don't just get an erection. You have to have your brain telling you, I see a sexual thing. Right. Uh, and if your brain won't tell you that, then the Viagra won't work.
0: I see. I, I didn't know that. Because you also hear about people who take Viagra and have the five-hour erection and have to go to the hospital. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's preventing the, the breakdown of something that allows the penile muscle to relax. But that means that that has to be in the area of the penis to begin with. And uh-huh. how does it get there? You have sexual thoughts. Ah. So without the sexual thoughts, there's nothing there to prevent the breakdown of for these, you know, Cylos, Viagra, PDE5 inhibitor type uh, medicines.
0: So in, back to graduate school, what, what are you, <laughs> wh- where are you starting to focus on in terms of sexual questions, sexual psychophysiology? Is that what you think of what you do? You do, do psychophysiology of sex?
1: Yeah, I use the broader term. So sometimes you use neuroscientists, but uh-huh. I see that as part of psychophys. We've all, we've all psychophys. Gone there. Yeah. yeah. you want to be sexy, you got to be a neuro. Isn't yeah. it fascinating? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was doing all kinds of things to do with drive and coherence and sexual arousal, really basic science questions. So just...
0: Coherence being...
1: Uh, the match between what people's physiology is doing and what they say they're feeling
0: that's disrupted. So yes. people don't, people aren't good reporters of.
1: Yeah. So this is nothing new in emotion, psychophysiology. You know, this is the tripartite model of fear from ages ago right. where, you know, Lang's work trying to understand when these systems agree or disagree. We have the same types of issues in sex, but we think we discovered it because we're a little narcissists. And, <laughs> uh, so we uh, pretend like we have to figure this out for the first time. But the truth is like, it has a long history of trying to understand when uh, people's experiences match what their bodies are doing and when they fail to match what their bodies are doing. And so one of the often repeated findings in our field is men's coherence is very high. That is, if they say they're sexually aroused, they have an erection. They are. Maybe that's
0: why I'm feeling confused right now because I'm like, wait, but sex is so specific. (laughs) I mean, how can you not know?
1: How could you not know? Well, in women, it's a lot more variable, we think.
0: And and how does that manifest? So you can have... Usually,
1: it's, there's a body response. So you show women porn, and uh, contrary to popular belief, women are also very visual. We don't have any reason to think that's different in women. Really? They're, um, they're
0: as responsive to porn as men are?
1: If you control for the level of sexual desire, there is no gender difference.
0: What do you mean, control? how do you control for the level of sexual desire? <laughs> there, uh,
1: there are a few ways. So most people use questionnaires. We have started uh, using a neurological measure, but that's quite new. Wow. So if you basically- So you
0: ask them how- Interested in sex? Like traits,
1: sexual desire. Okay. Yeah, day-to-day, okay, how often yeah. do you want to have sex? How interested are you? How often are you thinking about it? Uh, thinking about it with intention. Uh, because <laughs> I want to do something about it. I'm not just worrying about it. Right. Uh, and if you control for that, those gender differences go away, largely. So uh, I know. Wow. If, so we're doing all these That's, things.
0: That, that couldn't be more different from the popular right? consciousness.
1: Men are not from Mars. We are from the same planet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So given that they're, they're all equally responsive after you adjust for mm-hmm. trait, uh, s- sexual interest, you nevertheless find that men are really good at tracking their own sexual arousal and women are not so good at it? Or wh- wh- uh, what's the story? We
1: have all reported that finding many times, uh-huh. but there are lots of big question marks about it because if women on average have lower sex drive, you have a stimulus matching problem. Are you really getting the women in the lab as aroused as you got the men in the lab. And because we have different genitalia, we can't equate the genital response very easily.
0: Because men, you can measure it more easily.
1: We can, well- Maybe that's the we mischaracterization. We measure it differently. Differently. Yeah, you so have the it's- the
0: Barlow strain gauge.
1: There's this, yeah. Uh, and you can, like you can measure temperature on both the penis and the vulva, but are if those equivalent t- structures? Because of
0: the blood flow into them? Yeah, they Cause, both cause get the hotter. Because the vulva gets gets engorged too, right?
1: Engorged and hotter and uh-huh. you know, all of these processes. But um, it's not clear when we show a stimulus, we have a hard time getting stimulus equivalents with these, or um, demonstrating that because of the different genitalia. So there's this question of, are we really getting the men and women equally cognitively aroused? So we've done work showing like if you get the women more aroused than usual, like if you show them weaker and stronger stimuli, the co- coherence does increase. Huh. Uh, and of course, there is the issue with the guys, of course. All they have to do is look down and <laughs> they know what we're measuring. There's,
0: there's, there's lots of visual feedback.
1: There's so many, so many uh, lines of feedback for yeah. them and it's difficult to remove those. So even if you... Like there was a study where they hung a curtain across their lap back in the day, and you still though like there's proprioceptive feedback. Yeah, they can yeah, feel yeah. it's kind of on it is my not leg. Not hard to to know. Yeah, I'm guessing, but
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> it's it's difficult to remove that feedback to really <laughs> test that hypothesis. Yeah, as well.
0: yeah, yeah. So so, so uh, as uh, your it was your dissertation on this sort of coherence question or.
1: I, my dissertation was testing Barlow's model of oh, sexual yeah. functioning.
0: So, which, which part of it? The uh, excitation transfer part or the... Uh,
1: so I was trying to look at whether kind of emotional reactivity to sexual cues or attention to sexual cues better predicted reported sex drive. Uh huh. And of course, in hindsight, many problems with what I did, as we yeah. all have.
0: Yeah, that never happens with a dissertation, right. ever, ever.
1: <laughs> Uh, so at the time I found really strong effects in our attentional measure, uh, kind of supporting Barlow's idea, but, uh, very little to nothing in terms of the emotional reactivity. So the conclusion of me at that time was, uh, and Barlow's on my dissertation committee. He was, uh, he was as How an external cool. member. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Oh yeah. I was I like, like hi, much. I partially falsified your model. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he was great about it. Um, sure. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. So here you are. <laughs> here you are. You're finishing up grads, grad school. You've got mm-hmm. David Barlow on your dissertation committee. Now we start getting into some new territory for you, it seems to me. I've, we just talked about this a little bit anecdotally uh, over the years, mm-hmm. but you go on the job market.
1: Yeah. And I'm thinking probably postdoc, because that's like 95% yeah, of what sure. we do. And then I got an offer from a little school in Idaho. 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 Where in Idaho? Pocato. Polk- Pocatello, Idaho. How the hell do you know Pocatello? Because I
0: went to junior high and high school in Spokane, Washington. Whoa! Yeah, whoa! That's right. Isn't that weird?
1: (laughs) Nobody knows Pocatello. (laughs)
0: Trumpland, man.
1: Yeah, I don't know how I got out alive. I was pretty sure the pitchforks were coming.
0: Pocatello, Idaho. So yeah. yeah. So what is what is the university there? It's
1: Idaho State. Idaho State. Yeah, and so I made the decision uh, rather than the University of
0: Idaho is in Moscow.
1: Uh, well, and Boise, I think has one. Yeah, Yeah. maybe so. Yeah. So I just made the decision to rather, you know, you can wait on the job market and see what happens with your postdoc offers maybe, or I had this offer in hand to run an independent laboratory already. So at age 29, I walked into Idaho state.
0: Pocatello. (laughs) Well, you're from Beaumont. You can handle Pocatello.
1: Oh my God. (laughs) Barely. (laughs) Barely. What happened? Um, It was an interesting place. I mean, it's a small department um, and I was the only psychophysiologist there. Uh So the biggest challenge...
0: Yeah, there's currency there.
1: There's currency, but there's also a lot of suspicion, I think, in terms of like this new technique. What is this person doing? Are they going to take all our resources? Um, And so I didn't you know have supports there like the engineering department i had at indiana where anything you oh, needed yeah. they would make downstairs
0: isn't that nice yeah yeah, yeah. and so yeah. all of a Get sudden i'm that, like you're in trouble
1: crap i've got to learn how to build stuff and i am not an electrician oh my god and yeah <laughs> I
0: just i just can't tell you how much i relate to this <laughs>
1: So you know what we do? Of course, we find John Curtin. He was a great psychophysiologist at Wisconsin, and flew him out uh, with Good a job. Yeah, the trade of some skiing.
0: This is like two thousand what? 2002? Seven, eight.
1: 2007. Yeah, so I had internship out so in Boston when we met and bounced.
0: Spr, you were just a little person. I was a
1: wee a wee in thing. grad school. Yeah. Uh, but it so was, I was fresh off of that SPR, you know, meeting still in my head. And so that was one of the first things we did was looking at alpha asymmetry uh-huh. and sexual motivation. So you had
0: an EEG system.
1: I set up an EEG system. Do you yeah. know what,
0: you, what? you remember what you got? What did you get? Neuroscan. Neuro-scan. Yeah. Yeah. you get a 32 super, channel or oh, Of 64? course.
1: And we started on a basic alpha asymmetry study to replicate uh, basically some of y'all's work yeah. uh, in yeah. the pleasure motivation domain. Um, partially did that. How'd it go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, my sense of that was we just, um, threw f- fire at it. Uh, the effect sizes are so large with sexual stimuli that, uh, we got strong alpha suppression.
0: They just went, they went from being human to mammal. They mm-hmm. just went all mammal on you.
1: Yeah. It's alpha is a direct indicator of mammal oh. for anyone who didn't know. <laughs> 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 who needs fMRI? Uh, yeah, and uh, then I shortly after had a got a grant that first year uh, from the Alcoholic Beverage Medical Research Foundation to study nice. the effects of alcohol on sexual response. So that was a big part of what we were doing the next couple of years. Another
0: important question.
1: Yeah, whiskey dick. People are worried.
0: Whiskey dick.
1: Yeah.
0: Whiskey dick, is that a thing? You just said whiskey dick.
1: It's totally a thing. It's a thing? It, well, not in my lab it's not, but guys claim it is.
0: Okay, but, but <laughs> did this grant help you? First of all, we're, I can't believe we're talking about whiskey dick. Is there is there is there another term for it? Is that the term? Impaired
1: erectile functioning. With Impaired erectile. Okay,
0: sure. Whiskey dick. Let's go back to whiskey dick. So, did you study whiskey dick?
1: <laughs> what we were interested in. was... Uh, We had some data from grad school when I was working with Peter Finn showing uh, this really cool effect where uh, we always kind of assume that, you know, you drink alcohol, you get stupid. Right. So the more you drink, the more you'll do. And that was what was causing people to take sexual risks when they're drunk. Yeah. Turns out that's not really the case. It's all mediated through sexual arousal. And we had found that an independent laboratory in Seattle found that effect as well. So we are following up on that work, uh, looking at. Uh, When you give people alcohol, either at low or high doses or a placebo, you know, what better predicts there are shifts in risky decision making if you present them with potential partners. Because, of course, we can't present them with real partners because we're conservative and stupid. And uh, (laughs) I should be able to present them with real partners anyway. Wait, you mean like
0: real partners like right? (laughs) Why not? To to have sex in the laboratory? Why not? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Art Aaron had people come in and make out. I'm jealous. Yeah.
1: We can do these analogs better than what we were doing. But this is what we were doing at the time was kind of accepted, uh, you know, vignette analogs for Uh sexual risk behaviors. But then we try and generalize this case. So, like one of the main reasons people say they take uh methamphetamines and uh cocaine to a lesser extent, but especially methamphetamines, is sexual enhancement. Uh-huh. Number one reason we know nothing about how meth actually affects sexual response. I've you know made several night applications as have colleagues, and we can't make any headway on it because it's just this weird we shouldn't study that. It's, you know, too much. We don't want to do you put stuff get, on people's. Do you get penises. that in
0: reviews? Or do you get yeah. is it I mean oh, because yeah. The, the the you know the the thing is especially when you're talking about NIH, mm-hmm. there's the reviews of your peers mm-hmm. on the one hand, and that's one determinant. And then there's the funding priority of the agency. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I I guess it would seem less likely to me that your peers would be saying this is not something you can study, and more likely that the NIH would be saying this is not something we can support.
1: So the funny thing is, I don't know that my peers are all in those panels yet. I, I think we're mostly dealing uh, theoretically because these are anonymous, of course. To some extent, I mean, we know broadly we the know panel who's on makeup. the panel, yeah. yeah, but not who particularly started your review. We would often get feedback uh, that we read to be cryptic, as things like "We don't think you'll get enough volunteers uh, for the study," which we thought was hysterical because we can't. We turn them away left and right. We get no, tons hold on of a volunteers.
0: Re- are you are you really? We get this Cause, feedback cause repeatedly. I, 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 well, yeah. I mean. If I were asked to predict whether you could get people
1: <laughs> right
0: <laughs> to come into the laboratory and have sex, mm-hmm. I would say, yeah, no, nobody's going to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's a terrible thing to do. Nobody should. No, no, no. Of course. No, not that it's of a terrible course. thing
0: to do. No, no, no. It's a fine thing to do. It's, a, it's, a, it's an important thing to do. We should do it. But pe- will people do it? I mean, people won't do it. Is my the, is the, is the, my the, favorite the,
1: example. So uh, we did a brain stimulation study where uh, we stimulated people's genitals with a vibrator. So you might you say- did? Uh, You, you we stimulated turned, their- We had it programmed uh, in a computer. So, that But you weren't like- I was not personally holding holding the vibrator with my hand. I was holding it with TTL pulses on the other side of the wall (laughs) through my computer. Okay. Uh, But that study, we literally posted this ad on Craigslist in the casual counter section for like 30 minutes and had 240 phone calls and emails to the point where our staff came in and said, can you please take the ad down? Because we can't use our phones. Like people were clogging the lines. So, you yeah, know, and this is on a random weekday on Craigslist in LA.
0: But then the, the, but then this raises the question, how how generalizable are those people?
1: They were exactly who we wanted. We were looking for high-risk sexual ah, people. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got them. <laughs> Fair em. enough. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. But yeah. that's in LA. That's in LA. So
0: how'd you get from Pocatello? <laughs> to
1: I LA? went a, long path, a uh, long path from three years as an assistant professor there and was limited in a few different ways. I was the first person to ever submit an RO1, That is the large grant wow. mechanism through that department, uh, which meant I just didn't have a lot of support there. Yeah. So I went to uh, Mind Research Network, which is an independent research facility in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on the campus of University of New Mexico. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I got there. Six months later, they got bought by Loveless Respiratory Research Institute, Leary, and completely changed their direction and funding. And uh, they gave
0: you the... The boots or what? Uh, what no,
1: I had when I walked in a two year contract. And so I completed that contract. Okay. Um, but I knew essentially that it was not likely to be extended because the agency priorities shifted soon after I got there. So I got back on the job market. <laughs> and, um, you know, in this case, ended up at UCLA in the gambling studies program of all places.
0: The gambling studies yes,
1: program? Yes. Uh, think reward. Mm-hmm. I'm also a Done. reward. So they are yeah, using that's right, of course. Yeah, yeah they're the doing reward. secondary reinforcers. So, oh yeah.
0: And plus now you can start confirming the existence of sex addiction.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much what I came there for. You know, was to prove that sex was addicting and bad and stinky.
0: I lost you at stinky, but I was there <laughs> with everything
1: else. <laughs> well it's bad. You know this, right?
0: Right. So did you you went to the what was it called again? The the gambling
1: Gambling studies program. Studies program. Yeah.
0: And this is affiliated with what school?
1: I'm in department psychiatry when I was at UCLA. And uh-huh. uh, they were unique in that that particular program was the only one, I believe, that had a state contract. So when you go and buy a gambling ticket or something and... Uh, the state of California, some proportion of that money has to go back for the treatment of people who end up with gambling problems. I see. And this was uh, part of what the state had funded to help ameliorate those difficulties people sometimes encounter.
0: Got it. So how'd it go? What, what did you, you started up uh, your study. So now you're, <laughs> this seems like a different thing now. You've, you've studied sort of qualities of sexual function, mm-hmm. uh, but now you're studying sex.
1: Right. So at this point, we, you know, we used porn in a lot of studies. The porn addiction tests we had done actually were back in Idaho. You know, Uh we'd collected them there. And at this point, I'm getting really tired of having to make this logical leap. in what exactly was the porn doing? You know, we were having... What was the
0: logical leap?
1: uh, Things like, you know, how do we think about what porn is actually doing? Are people responding to the stimulus they're seeing or are they seeing the stimulus and using it as fantasy material and that's creating individual differences so some people are more effective than others at generating fantasy and therefore generating their own arousal. Right. Right. So okay. So am, are I, we really, am I watching
0: a kind of a prosthetic for my own fantasies? Or yeah. Am I like, am I watching, am itself? I watching
1: the porn or am I a good fantasizer? Uh, so these kinds of issues you just can't easily take apart, um, because there's no dipstick for sexual fantasy. <laughs> yeah. You know, Cause, Oh, well they have three units of fantasy, <laughs> right, right, right. But there are dipsticks for vibrators.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really? There are dipsticks for vibrators? So we—I don't understand. What, <laughs> what are you talking about?
1: When I was at Idaho, we did a study of common vibratory stimulation devices. We slapped an accelerometer on them. You were studying
0: different devices?
1: Yeah. Because
0: yeah. you were comparing the utility of the devices for research, or you just wanted to know about different <laughs> devices?
1: It was so. It was a making
0: consumer recommendations.
1: Long term, I knew I wanted to move towards that kind of a model and away from films. Uh-huh. And
0: oh, you mean so not showing. But just directly. Yes, actual sexual stimulation.
1: Genitalia. I would love to go straight to partners, but I think it was too risky in the U.S. to make that jump. Uh-huh. So the in-between jump was to try to do genital stimulation through some other means. Uh-huh. And we knew vibrators work on guys, too. There was a They do? Th- oh, hell yeah. <laughs> There's a whole series of studies from the Netherlands showing this uh, very well. How? How not?
0: Okay. I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand the mechanics of it.
1: Yeah. So the guys in the Netherlands used to use little bullet vibrators and they would uh, wrap them around just under the tip of the penis, Uh like uh, underneath, which is known to be a very sensitive spot, very commonly stimulated during masturbation by men's report. Uh (laughs) Uh, And they would turn these suckers on and leave them (laughs) and see how long it took them to reach orgasm. And they would use this as a model for understanding what was called premature ejaculation at the time now called rapid ejaculation and oh, that's interesting, interesting so little shift right we knew this was likely to work even though of course uh when we test guys they always make clear to us when we walk in well you know i don't normally do this but for science oh, yeah, okay whatever yeah, buddy yeah. doesn't matter put it on yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah we had slapped a piezoelectric accelerometer on these vibrators just to get a sense of what are people using exactly like what is the displacement characteristic of a typical vibrator and uh-huh ones that are more commonly used to reach orgasm, how do those differ? Is it really in frequency or is it displacement? Because huh. these are two different what do you properties. Mean, displacement? So displacement is how much the uh, housing outside the device, in this case, is actually moving uh, oh, from see. a center point. Mm-hmm. And frequency is how fast it's doing right, that. Right, right, right. So uh, how much is it really literally like beating back and forth versus just doing whatever it's doing really, really quickly? Really fast, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, one paper before it suggested displacement and we found some data suggesting similar, like it's probably more the displacement than the frequency. These are good things to know for when you circle back around and you want to develop now a device to stimulate someone in the laboratory. Uh, right. To Cause say, you want to
0: do it the best way. Yeah, possible. yeah. Yeah.
1: Like when you're starting from scratch, uh, essentially what, what do you put on them first? <laughs> you know, what's the first thing in the door and it's a tremendous problem. This is where bias is a, a huge issue because you know, as a sexual person, I admit it. Oh, I've had it. sex. No, <laughs> you haven't. I know, right? So uh, we have our biases because of our own personal experiences. Of like, well, this works. This is how this thing works. Yeah. Well, maybe just for you, right. <laughs> it might not be any other human.
0: And there might even be there might even be individual differences with you know what kind of yes. Things.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we yeah. had to have some idea of like what was common, what's typical. And did you
0: settle on a on, a, on an answer?
1: <laughs> we ended up using really a high displacement device. Um, high displacement.
0: Yeah. And frequency doesn't matter as much?
1: Uh, well, so you can, obviously there's somewhat, well, they're somewhat correlated because if you increase the frequency, it can create yeah, right. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> whiplash. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so we just basically had the sense from these early looks that we wanted a device that was pretty intense. Uh Uh, We didn't want to start with some cute little bullet vibrator. We are just going to go all in, you know, kind of get the strong stuff because we wanted to be sure we were able to stimulate people and potentially orgasm eventually.
0: And, and why? Exactly. Why were you making them orgasm?
1: (laughs) The orgasm study started because we were looking at reward responsiveness and depression, and of course, many many people have found that uh, Greg Siegel, my uh, our colleague in Pittsburgh, and good buddy, uh, yes, hi Greg, (laughs) had found um, you know people with depression tend to experience pleasant stimuli, but they rapidly dampen those experiences, and this is associated with activity in the vmPFC and uh, this suggested or could be that If they had a sufficiently strong positive stimulus, maybe they wouldn't be able to dampen it. That is, is this a skill they could acquire, or is it something that was deficient in their ability to process the stimulus? So let's just give them something they can't stop. You know, it's a really strong, undeniably positive reward, primary reward, and see uh, if we saw differences in responsiveness. Now, to get there, we didn't start with depressed people. Of course, you have to establish an informative a normative sample. Sure. And this and is the procedure
0: and you
1: know, yeah, like how the hell do you provoke this? Work? Where do we set it up? Can we
0: get people into the laboratory and
1: I never had a question about that. That's you. I have no questions about getting people in the lab.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but, <laughs> but so, well, and can we just talk really quickly can, about what they actually do? Yeah. So yeah. They for come the, into the laboratory. Mm-hmm. How did, how does a person have an orgasm in your laboratory?
1: So because they,
0: that would be, I would be, I would feel discomfort.
1: I, so they don't obviously just walk in and And slap slap down, no, they come in, you know, we have the typical informed consent, they fill out questionnaires online, they do cognitive tasks at a computer when they're sitting upright, fully clothed, so we have some interaction with them beforehand, and this all occurs in a private room, Uh, we use massage tables, but essentially gynecological exam tables is what (laughs) we would have used, Uh, (laughs) also work just as well, and... (laughs) You know, we get these folks set up. We're trying to measure their brain response during all of this. So we've got the additional complication of you're not just having an orgasm in the lab. We've also got you tied down to six other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got respiration on you. We've got galvanic skin response, electromyography, um, heart rate. You know, we're pulling everything we can because these data are so unique. Oh, we're all in. Yeah, that's good. And uh, for a variety of reasons. So, after we get your poor self strapped down <laughs> to this uh, table, essentially, uh, and different levels of strapped down depending on kind of how the instruments fit you uh-huh. and what your preferences are, these people are typically disrobed, or if they have a dress, they might pull the dress up and uh, we get the vibrator in the vicinity of their genitals uh, and leave the room. How? Uh, so we have this Hitachi magic wand mounted on a microphone stand, uh-huh. and it's, what's a Hitachi mag- magic wand? Oh my God! What so, is that? <laughs> it is uh, probably the most popular uh, stimulation device used for sexual enhancement, and it's, it's recommended. A it's a vibrator, yeah, okay. and it's it appears in uh, "Becoming Orgasmic," the classic text of treating anorgasmias. So it's been around a long, long time.
0: Okay. Classic. So that's that. That's attached to a microphone stand,
1: taped to tape, a microphone, to microphone stand, stand. <laughs> <laughs> Just
0: to get.
1: with bunting to like dampen <laughs> the vibration that is uh, sheared off to the stand. Hey, how would you do this? Hey, no, come on, man!
0: Look, I told you this I was going to giggle. This is hard
1: science. I'm, I, it, so then the question is like, you've got this thing. Uh, then what, like how, for the guys, are we going to try and chase their penis around as they start to get hard with this thing? Like what's going to happen? And so we decided, (laughs) seriously, it's going to flip around. It doesn't just stay in one place.
0: What uh, what's gonna flip around the penis? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought you meant. But so I it's to flaccid, be... <laughs> and then it gets hard, and it flips upright.
1: See that you, the it's penis works this way. Flipping around now.
0: But I <laughs> okay. So so wait. So okay. Let's just back up. So the let's just talk women. It's at a lot first. of hand gestures. I can't. There's too many flipping <laughs> devices and yes. body parts. So women are in there. You you
1: set. <laughs> yes. So we have you set
0: the. I'm so sorry I'm laughing so hard. This is not good. This <laughs> it's is, great. The, you, you set the, the, uh, the um, vibrator.
1: With an attachment with for an attachment the clitoral hood.
0: To, 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 to the what?
1: Uh, for the clitoral hood. For the
0: clitoral. Uh, so there's it, an attachment for the Hitachi yes. magic wand. Yes. That's designed for the clitoral hood.
1: That's where we have applied it.
0: Okay. And you, you hand
1: it to them? Uh, we we wiggle it over to them so it's sitting beside their table. Okay. And we say we're going to leave the room, and we want you to get this in a position such that uh, uh-huh. you know we're going to turn it on so you can kind of sample what the intensity is like. Uh-huh. And we also give them a dial beside them uh, that we like have a rating dial added not a rating dial, but an intensity dial oh, so see. That they have so control. they can set the, yeah. Yeah, we did decide to give up experimental control over that piece because we were really concerned that we would potentially choose vibratory thresholds that were far too high and uh, actually make some people in pain, which obviously we want to avoid. Yeah. Uh, we want them aroused, not annoyed. Yeah. yeah. So I agree. Uh, we give them a brief trial period, and then we turn the device off. And on an intercom from the next room, we say, "You know, do you feel like you have it set? Or would you like to try again?" If they want to try again, we'll run the ten second or. And can uh, you see them? No. Okay. So a, they're they're in totally
0: private room. Yep. Yeah,
1: they're totally yeah. private room by themselves at this that's point. That's good. And yeah, to help facilitate, yeah, that's we hope yeah. <laughs> responses. And then the big question comes up, which is, well, then what? Uh, My colleague and I had many, many rounds of discussion about this because there is nothing published on how to do this.
0: How to tell them.
1: Well, like, what do you, we wanted to control the stimulation pattern.
0: Oh my God. What should that be? What are you talking about?
1: Yeah. So, uh, he and I have different personal preferences, which I won't get into, so...
0: (laughs) Personal preferences about what?
1: About how we thought the pattern should be done, and so we had to uh, we had to acknowledge that we had no idea because obviously he and I had completely different ideas. So it was a
0: and different physiologies,
1: different physiology. So you're
0: talking about how it should be applied to the genitals, yes, to create orgasm. Yes,
1: we did not. You know. guys were
0: beta testing. You guys were testing this uh,
1: out. You know, for science, I decided it was worth the sacrifice. Okay. I, I always do. I joke, had to ask. Yeah. I, I, you know, I go
0: through all of my own protocols.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like yeah. people, so this is the parallel. Of course, we test ourselves first. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. The, my favorite side story, if I may. Yes, this you is, may. As we were testing all these various setups, um, we had trouble with the vibrator <laughs> shorting out at periods because it's fairly high energy compared to the other <laughs> devices we were running through this equipment. Who shorted short out the circuit? Yes. And so uh, my esteemed colleague who That's made most Allen of movie. the advances on this hardware um, eventually thought, okay, we've got it figured out. So we set up my protocol. I was being run through this time. He was in a separate room. And get to the crucial rather close moment, and the device shorts out. <laughs> and <laughs> he said, I have never seen you so angry. <laughs> All That's I rough. Did, There's another study you should do. I came out, and I said, you what happens to fix people? that. <laughs> <You> <laughs> so we are not running shit until this gets fixed, like permanently fixed.
0: You're going to inadvertently do a whole different kind of study. <laughs> yep. Yep. What happens when people get close and can't. Anymore. Well,
1: so we did a blue ball study, of course, inadvertently. You did do that. Inadvertently. This is a... Okay.
0: Because it was shorting out? Were there sparks?
1: Yeah. <laughs> So many sparks. But no, so the, this is the mm. uh, UCLA didn't want us to do this orgasm study, which is how we ended up doing it at Pittsburgh instead. Uh-huh. And uh, Oh, they, wait, 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 wait,
0: wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. Wait, I can't let that go by. UCLA <laughs> wouldn't let you do the orgasm study?
1: Uh, we became what the ethics chair said was the second study in the history of UCLA to be rejected. Um, what in the
0: hell are you talking about?
1: Yeah. So they didn't cite any safety or confidentiality concerns, nothing like what that. What was
0: the threat to human- they never Dignity cited one.
1: They never cited one. They didn't? They told us we had to remove the orgasm component or they would reject the study and we said that's are you the purpose me? of the study, we won't remove it and so they said, "Well, then your study's rejected." <laughs> I escalated it as high <clears throat> as I could go <laughs> as a little junior faculty member. I, I and, threw well, a fit. How long are you here at that point? Exactly. How? So, I have a limited contract and I am in my first year trying to get pilot data oh, for an for NIH God's grant. Sake. And, Stop it. Suddenly and,
0: is, and and let me, you know, let me also say, we, we started talking about all the methodological details of mm-hmm. creating orgasm in the laboratory because you were applying, this is one of the points that you're making right at the very beginning of our conversation, mm-hmm. you're applying it to the study of reward responding.
1: To address depression.
0: To address depression. Yes. And God damn it. As a broad community of, of clinical psychologists, we turn ourselves into pretzels trying to find stimuli that are sufficient for the laboratory mm-hmm. to study reward re- you know emotional response. oh honey i got and you and we, I we got come you. up with bullshit all the time <laughs> we're always lamenting in conference mm-hmm. conversations about how well oh, our stimuli is not strong enough this is a perfect idea we could kill it potentially you could kill it mm-hmm. and
1: we're allowed to use vibrators on the genitals but not to bring them to orgasm i'm not kidding <laughs> the crickets the crickets
0: well i'm i'm sort of uh
1: this is how we felt too when it I'm got rejected we were both just like well shit no, so you took
0: it up you <laughs> took it up higher levels how did how, how did uh this is this is appalling i mean can i say that i, I don't want to <laughs> say that you you're, you you don't have to say anything bad about ucla but i'm a, I'm, I'm appalled and and i and i can say that i, I find it appalling because I, I can imagine it happening in a lot of places because of this, this absurd, this infantilizing fear of sexuality. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, it's in me. Uh, the whole way, th- all th- through this whole conversation, I'm giggling like a like a junior high school kid, like Beavis and ButtHead, because I'm, you know, it just it creates this sort of nervous anxiety. But but what you're talking about makes perfect scientific sense.
1: Thank you, God damn it.
0: You're welcome, goddamn it. <laughs> so, so okay. So we got that part of the story. It just went flashing by, and yeah. I didn't want to let it go. It I good know. Good. I
1: hate to ruminate on that because it it was so so sad at the time and just startling. I'd never as many roadblocks as we have with sex. I'd never hit one that hard, you know, just shit, an absolute no. So I can officially say, you know, I used to make fun of us because I'd say, oh, we gripe all the time that we can't study this or we can't study that. So we just never asked. If we asked, you know, we're just being chicken shits about it. Let's yeah. be real and put in the protocol. So I did. And I was like, ah, shit, they were right. We can't do that here. We're not allowed. <laughs> well, got Damn. an answer. Yeah. So. so you
0: did, you wound up doing that, that study at Pittsburgh? Yeah, Pittsburgh How'd had go? no Pittsburgh. problem with that. Good, uh, good show, yeah. Pittsburgh. God I'm bless. Proud him. of you. <laughs> right? I'm proud of you, <laughs> Pittsburgh. So
1: progressive, I love it.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny with with a topic like sexuality. To, you know, one of the one of the jokes you can make is it's science, ha 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 ha. Right, we're making people orgasm for science, mm-hmm. ha ha. But in, in actual fact, it's fucking science. <laughs> That's what it
1: is. It is also fucking science in, and fucking <laughs> science. <laughs> You. Thank you. Riding. Yeah. I
0: know. I, I was. I was hoping for that one. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, so. So, how'd it go at Pittsburgh?
1: It was fascinating, frustrating. Things happened that we had no idea uh, were going to happen, and have launched us in totally different directions than we ultimately anticipated. So we were surprised. The pattern of simulation we ended up picking uh, worked for. Pretty much everyone who walked in the door. It's a relatively small sample, but men and women. Huh. Uh, very pleased about that and shocked. So
0: reliable Yeah, we results. feel like
1: we've got a pretty good um, stimulation pattern that That's seems excellent. to work for most hard people. Hard to come by in Indeed. psychophysiology. Oh, my God. Hard to come by. They just can't. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to let it go, and I, couldn't, I just couldn't. Oh no, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. <laughs> I've got
0: others. I have, I have others. I, had, I was making oh a God. list last night.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Some left, (laughs) (laughs) that's what he said. (laughs) So, uh, science, science, and um, yeah. So, what were we? Oh, so some of the crazy stuff that happened, we found there's this funny kind of pattern like when people are initially getting sexually aroused, so early stage, like they're watching porn or they're just the vibrator's about to come on, kind of thing, you get two patterns so we get strong alpha suppression and Uh then we is it mostly
0: frontal frontal
1: cortex uh yes it seems to be especially frontal but in general these are large it's, these effects. are large effects yeah it's
0: the it's the fire hose of we kill it yeah. yeah and
1: so we've got that starting off and then the galvanic skin response as you might ex- expect is going up yep and then we have this funny thing happen we say okay thank you very much subject you've been a great subject we're now going to transition to the part where we'd like you to try and have an orgasm if you can no pressure blah 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 and then alpha floats up and galvanic skin response drops Wow. Throughout the cognitive shift, to when we instruct them to change what they're trying to do, up for the however long it takes, several minutes. So this is not like a blip just before. It's a lo- it appears to be a really long period before they have an orgasm uh, that we think is the first time we're aware of. Someone has seen data of letting go of what that means to shift into a state of mind where you can experience an orgasm. It becomes,
0: in a in a way, effortless. Because, you know, when I think about the galvanic Mm -hmm. skin response for those listening, it's, you know, it's it's more or less how much you're sweating on your uh, Mm -hmm. in, in, in your in your hands. Supposedly, sympathetic when, nervous system. Yeah, sympathetic yeah. nervous system, and it's thought to be a measure, thought to index sort of general physiological arousal yeah. and effort.
1: Yeah, so you right? would think with orgasm, think it goes up, it would, up, 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 you'd up, just up, just up, keep going. Orgasm, up until you, blammo. You, thank you very blammo, much. Blammo. Right, yeah, yeah. and then
0: you, you you would see it re- re- return. Yeah,
1: <laughs> not so much. It turns out, in fact, the opposite. Wow. Shit, we didn't know that. Now what?
0: Well, that that <laughs> could cause a whole rethinking about the sexual response cycle.
1: It's funny because they're. In some ways, I think sex therapists talk about this already. You know, they talk about getting in a brain state where you're not thinking about your grocery list right. and you you know. And
0: uh, not thinking about your performance is the classic idea. Yeah, like or how about fat your
1: thighs look right, or right, right. whatever distracting thing yeah. it is. But just having the experience you're being in the moment. having sex with
0: a person or with yourself yeah. as it, the case may And be. we
1: have some people studying mindfulness to help intervene with low drive. So, okay, oh, well, that makes sense if you're like catching the, you know, trying to stay with it, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, But we didn't have a way of talking about this because there had been, uh, like Cindy Meston's lab, University of Texas, Austin had this idea of exactly that it's this increase. They thought they documented that with having people ride a bicycle before they would watch a porno and it would facilitate their response. Right, right, right. So we thought this was great evidence that this was all part of this system that just had to go up and up and up to orgasm. And it turns out, oh shit, maybe we should have measured that. That appears not to be the case. This may be important for experiencing high pleasure. Wow.
0: So that's interesting. You learned something about orgasm per se.
1: Well, so there was that. But then we start asking around to other psychophysiologists, you know, have you ever seen, have you looked at high levels of arousal, like at your highest uh, in terms of galvanic skin response? And we weren't the only ones, but no one else published it because they thought it was like an artifactual problem, like Uh, it wasn't real. So we have at least a couple of other instances of high emotional arousal, not sexual uh, where people think they've seen this already. So I think it could inform kind of emotion processing more broadly. That is, how do you sustain pleasant affect, positive affect over time? Right.
0: And was this then implicated in your depression findings?
1: We don't have depression findings yet. So. Oh, really? <laughs> is, okay, so, yeah, so we're we still haven't. waiting to hear about that. We are just working on putting out this um, paper. has been invited for brain research in March, so that'll be kind of first step. And now we're working on a project of orgasmic meditation, which is partner genital stimulation. So, uh, of course— wait, before we get yeah. there— Yeah. Before we get
0: to there. So, so I want to make sure that, that listeners know about your— Business. It's a foundation. It's a corporation. It's, LLC. It's an LLC. Yep. So it's so it's like a for-profit company.
1: Uh, it's a for-profit that's entirely funded by nonprofit grants. <laughs> so is that
0: because it was easy? Because it's easy to set. It's easier to set up. An it's LLC. easier to
1: set up. California has a lot of uh, structural requirements for doing a nonprofit uh, with all the tax benefits that come with that. So it was easier.
0: And um, you set up this company mm-hmm. for what for, for what purpose?
1: To take in the two grants that were refused by the school to study orgasmic meditation.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> so we're back to what happened at UCLA. I'm going to be quiet. So you had this contract. It was just for a year.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, two years. You're
0: still doing the depression study mm-hmm. at Pittsburgh. So you're, you've got that off the, mm-hmm. off the ground and that's going with mm-hmm. your pal... Greg Siegel.
1: Yeah. We're doing brain stimulation stuff here at UCLA with Marco.
0: Marco Iacoboni, the famous. Indeed. And uh, um, why, why do you leave UCLA?
1: So normally, for those that don't know, if you're on a soft money contract like I was, uh, you are eventually responsible for covering your own salary with grants. Right, with grant money. And but you so, had grants. Yes, we got grants. And, and what gr- you
0: got some sizable, decent grants.
1: Right? Yeah, enough to cover my salary <laughs> and uh, at the level <laughs> it was at, all of that good stuff. So I kind of expected like normal that, okay, it'll just be extended. Yeah. Cause Here pro am, pro-forma. during my job at, yeah. uh, at UCLA. And I uh, requested the account number a few times for the to deposit the check and they just weren't giving it to us weren't giving it. It was very weird and so eventually I asked the funder I said can you just would you mind sending me the check and I'll see if like if we just walk in with it well they tell us oh okay here's where you put it and that's when we got the official notice uh that they would not be accepting our grant funds which essentially is saying bye bye so
0: had you spit <laughs> on the director or had you <laughs> set lightly. fire to something
1: I think it has um It's difficult to say because they didn't make any attribution in the refusal of the funds. Uh Um, But this had come after a period of two things. One was the rejection of the orgasm study, which was unusual and certainly a problem. Okay. And the other was uh, because of the work I was doing studying pornography addiction, um, they were getting almost weekly complaint letters asking me to be fired uh, claiming I had falsified data and like...
0: Did you falsify data?
1: I did not falsify data. Thank you for I asking. I knew that. <laughs> okay. um, Wait, who
0: was claiming you falsified data?
1: There's anti-porn organizations. So people that want, for example, porn to be taken off the internet or they think uh, porn destroying marriages. But and what does
0: that have to do with the work that you're doing?
1: I We had found evidence in the largest neuroscience study still to date that porn did not look like other substance or behavioral addictions. It was oh. different in a very distinct way way so that you really shouldn't be calling it an addiction. Probably. Yeah. That's clearly a problem for some people, but it doesn't look like an addiction. So
0: the theory, the dominant sort of folk theory was that porn is, is addicting in the same kind of fashion that cocaine, cocaine, or, right, right. Say, yeah. And you found evidence that that was not necessarily a strong yeah, our teen, strong uh, evidence for that.
1: Had a couple of publications in this area and then some behavioral publications. And this angered them to no end um, because they had started calling it an addiction before there had been a single experimental oh, study. Oh, for God's sake. So, so are they
0: still after you?
1: Oh, yeah. Really? Every day. Every day? <laughs> Every day. So, Shit. <laughs> so it was a kind of uh, transitioning to the company with a combination of those things, I think. Mm-hmm. That is, the school was having to deal a lot with these complaints that, you know, they, they were. Should they should have were, come to bat for you. They did, actually. Like, they uh, had a lot of attorney time because as a public university, they have to respond to right. complaints like that. Right. And so they would have to investigate every single thing these uh-huh. yahoos sent in. Um, they'd come to me. Did you do this? No. Thank you. Did you have to get
0: <laughs> formal investigations about data falsification and all of this? No, of
1: they actually never did that because they didn't actually present any inf- anything any to evidence. suggest. <laughs> yeah, you have to. <laughs> they just thought it had definitely been falsified. Oh, it had to have God's been falsified. Sake, forget it. And the school was like, no, not unless you have real reason to think so. So.
0: Well, so now you have you were able to move the grants over to the, the business. What's the business Yay. called?
1: Liberos. Liberos. Yeah, this is Mark Cohen's baby, actually. We are trying to come up with a name. So Liber and Eros. Freedom. To desire,
0: I love it. Freedom to <laughs> desire. L- you gross. don't have to
1: desire if you don't want to, but if you do. But if you
0: do. And you're, you've moved the grants over to, to there. The grants mm-hmm. are for studying orgasm.
1: Orgasmic meditation. Orgasmic
0: meditation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's ongoing.
1: We are collecting data as we speak.
0: So can I just make an observation? Uh, first of all, I want to say I really admire what you're doing because you've had so many opportunities, let's say, to just say, fuck it, I'm not gonna do this anymore because it's really hard. You're up against a culture, and God, you've been up against this since your childhood in Beaumont <laughs> that oh, yeah. <laughs> just doesn't want it. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the, what Ellen Berscheid went through in the late 70s when Proxmire, Senator Proxmire, uh, established the Golden Fleece Award mm-hmm. because she wanted to study love. And at that Mm -hmm. time, that was that that was a horrible uh, taboo. You couldn't study love. Love is a great mystery. You know, there's no biology of love, you know. And he said famously that even if there was, he wouldn't want to know about it. (laughs) And I think that, you know, we've psychology has come through, you know, sort of the the psychodynamic behaviorism, Mm -hmm. the cognitive revolution. But then. Studying emotions was all sort of like that's not real science, and now it's a very firm part of the science, it's mm-hmm. sort of uh, the body of science that we have. Then the study of relationships at all, and that all focused on romance. So mushy, it's so very, mushy. Yeah, and then, and now it's much more established, and we even have neuroscience every now and then. And sex is the still, last frontier. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> even though you've had Masters and Johnson, and they they mm-hmm. they did really important work, and you had Kinsey. And, start, and obviously you've had, there There are other researchers in the world doing doing sex research. But what you're really illustrating is how far we have left to go.
1: <laughs> but this is part of the attraction. I mean, seriously, when we saw that pattern with the orgasm, you know, mind you're blown. You're making a real discovery. You just discovered something about basic physiology. Whoa. Yeah, that's, that's good cool. stuff. That's <laughs> cool. Like where what other fields is that open? You know, that it's going to be something brand new. You didn't know the body worked that way.
0: Well, I tell you, it's really great stuff and I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with me about this great work. We're going to do this again cuz I want oh I boy. have so much more to talk with you about.
1: Oh, good. Another pervert. I like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm in.
0: All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Another pervert. <laughs> Okay, that's it. Very many thanks to Nicole Prowsey for her candor and wit and scientific rigor. And for putting up with me. I, I just couldn't stop laughing, and I do apologize for that. But, but hey, you know what? The important thing is, as uncomfortable as things can get when discussing how to make people orgasm, or, you know, what happens to the sexual response when you drink, or really anything, whatever, having to do with pornography, say, the important thing is we keep talking, right? We keep talking about it, just let it be uncomfortable until it isn't anymore. Because if we resolve to stop avoiding our discomfort, we may well decide to devote more resources to this vital research. And by doing that, might even learn some more stuff about the psychology and physiology of sex. And maybe that stuff will be stuff we can leverage to increase our health and well-being. You never know. I have a feeling that would be the case. Anyway, thanks again, Nikki, for the conversation and for all the work you are doing. Folks, the music on Circle of Willis is written by Tom Stoffer and Gene Ruley and performed by their band, The New Drakes. For information about how to purchase their music, check the About page at Circle circleofwillispodcast.com. Don't forget that Circle of Willis is brought to you by VQR and the Center for Media and Citizenship at the University of Virginia. And that Circle of Willis is a member of the TEEJ FM network. You can find out more about that at TEEJ.FM. If you like this podcast, how about giving us a little review at iTunes and letting us know how we're doing. It's super easy and we like it. Or send us an email by going to circleofwillispodcast.com and clicking on the contact tab. In any case, I'll see you at episode 12 where I talk with Jay Van Bavel, associate professor of psychology and neuroscience at New York University. Jay and I cover a lot of ground from the use of social media to communicate about politics and science to the psychology of group identity and even to some of his adventures as a kid who grew up in pretty rural northern Alberta. That's in Canada, folks. Okay? Until then, bye-bye.